Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. This week's message was originally preached on Sunday, June 9th, and is the first installment of our series, Focus on the Family. We are joined by our guest speaker, Taryn Ramsey. Enjoy this week's sermon. Dr. James Dobson put out a book called Dare to Discipline and this book was uh, quite revolutionary in its time and it's gone on to sell millions of copies and it talks about disciplining children uh, not from an abuse standpoint but from a biblical standpoint where we train our children in the way that they should go. Uh, This book became so successful that Dr. Dobson eventually uh, took a year leave absence from his clinic work that he was doing. He has a PhD in childhood development. And in 1977, he started a radio program with the title of Focus on the Family. And in that half hour, 25 minute radio show, they, t- they focus each show on a topic of how to strengthen marriages, how to improve families, build relationships with kids, And over the years, this is still on the radio, by the way. Has anybody heard this show on CHVN? It's still on there in the mornings if I uh, am in the car at the right time. And over the years, this radio program has grown into a multinational, multi-million dollar ministry that focuses on family. And that's what we've named this series after this morning. It's not a mistake. It wasn't, oh, we didn't know that radio show had the same name. It was uh, a very purposeful action that we named this new series Focus on the Family because we're going to spend the next few weeks doing just that. Now, um, former U.S. Secretary of Education William Bennett wrote an article in the New York Times stating, the family is the nucleus of civilization and the basic social unit of society. Aristotle wrote that the family is nature's established association the supply of mankind's everyday wants. Research clearly shows that the institution of family is the first norm of community and government. It is the first, best, and original department of health, education, and welfare. And if you destroy that family, you destroy a society. If you build the family, you build society. Does anybody remember in the 90s where they had, you know, the war on crime the war on drugs and they're they're trying to put all these criminals in jail and they're really cracking down and giving life sentences does anybody remember that you could nod or i'm just okay dennis thank you dennis remembers we might have to enlighten the rest of you um so they did this and they're cracking down on crime and they're trying to eliminate it and it really didn't work but when they started investing in young families and giving parents the tools that they need That's when society began to rebuild itself again. But if you destroy that family, you're going to destroy society. So we're going to spend the next few weeks together discussing how we can strengthen families right here in our church. And I'm so pleased and privileged and honored that I got to kick off this message. But it's a little bit ironic. Pastor Allen always sends, uh, if he's going to be out of town, he sends us a file of, okay, here's what's going to happen the weeks that I'm gone, and here's what you're going to preach on, and you know, here's the title and the verses that you're going to use. It's kind of like getting an assignment from your teacher. And so I'm, you know, a little bit of a teacher's pet, and it's like, oh, good, good, good. What do I get to preach on on June 9th? 
and I open up the file, focus on the family. Oh, that looks really good. And I'm going to preach the first week. And what is it about parenting? Oh, that's interesting. Because of all the staff and elders who usually are in preaching rotation and Pastor Allen's not preaching, um, I happen to have um, very young children. I don't happen to be very established as a parent, but um, underpreparedness always makes you do extra research. Isn't that true? So I just thought I would, you know, maybe qualify myself for preaching and, and talk to you a little bit about my history before I go in. Um, I do have formal theological education. I graduated, um, oh geez, in 2007 from Central Pentecostal College. That's quite a while ago now with a pastoral, uh, a degree in, or in a diploma in pastoral ministry, sorry. And um, for my first five years of ministry, I was your youth pastor. And so I, I really grew to love teenagers and ministering to them. And I still love teenagers to this day. It's such a cool time of life that they get to examine faith and adopt it as their own. And, you know, there's all the drama and squabbles and girls fighting and guys fighting and dating and, you know, all that stuff that comes with youth ministry. But I really began to appreciate parents in my time as a youth pastor because really, like, as a youth pastor, you get your kids through that one night a week, but then the parents have the kids for the rest of the week. So my philosophy of ministry in youth ministry became to partner with the parents. How can we help parents advance um, in, in their parenting skills and successfully raising their kids? I myself am, I come from a big family. My parents have five children, so I'm the fourth of the fifth. And so when you're kind of like one of the last ones in a big family, you get to see your parents be really, really strict with the oldest kid. And then like they just sort of very gradually, things get a little little looser and a little leaner for, for the younger kids. And it's always a point of contention when we get together because my sister is always upset. Taryn, they, they weren't as strict with you as they were with me, but that's just the way life goes. My husband and I have two kids, like I said. Um, one's six and the other one's two. And I really, really enjoy, you know, them being this age. But let's be honest, we're still in the don't touch the hot stove and don't run into traffic. And we don't really like to take our kids in public just yet because they tend to behave like wild animals. Anybody in that phase right now? No. Some of you are. You know what I mean. Um, I'm by no means a perfect parent. Um, I really don't want to present any front that tells you I have things together. Um, if you follow me on Instagram yesterday, I posted, you know, a really cute picture of my kids. We, we were out sitting on the deck in the morning before the rain hit. And, you know, they're getting along, and they built a little fort. And I said, oh, stop. Mom's going to take a picture. And, you know, there's a nice, beautiful picture of them smiling. And then my next picture is a picture of, oh, I had to yell at them because they were screaming too loud and we're trying to wake the neighbors up and it's only eight in the morning. And so I, I, uh, I come to you preaching a very, as a very flawed parent. And I hope you, you can hear what I'm saying and hear what God is saying this morning and, and find something to apply to your life. Now, I do recognize we are talking on the topic of parents and we may not have parents, people who are parents that are in the room. There are some of you who, you know, have already had kids and now your kids have kids, or maybe you're still hoping to be a parent, maybe you're not married yet, maybe you don't ever plan on having kids. This is, I'm going to challenge you this morning especially 
don't just kind of check out of this message and go, oh, great, this one's not for me. There's a waste of 40 minutes of my life. Can I challenge you this morning? Your challenge for this week is going to, to be to become a cheerleader of parents because you don't live in a silo. You don't live on an island. You know people who are parents. And let's face it, this is a tough time of year for a lot of parents. It's June. Sports are wrapping up. School's about to end. We're about to hit this, you know, summer thing and there's lots of plans because it's nice out. If you don't have kids yet or don't want to have kids or you've already had your kids, can you just listen to what I'm saying this morning and become the biggest cheerleader of all the parents in your life? Don't just check out because, oh, that's not for me, but make it your mission to become a cheerleader. Now, in my research for today's message, I came across a really funny idea, and it's not funny like haha, but it's sort of funny like, oh yeah, yeah, that does make sense. It doesn't take a lot to become a parent, but it takes a lot to be a good parent. Can we all agree with that this morning? It's kind of like, you know, we think about it, well, I was a kid once, so now I know how to raise a kid, right? That's pretty logical thinking. Well, I know what it's like to be a kid, and therefore I know what it's like to raise a kid. But that's kind of like saying, well, I had surgery once. Maybe I'm qualified to perform a surgery. Now, that's pretty ludicrous sounding, isn't it? Just because you have surgery doesn't make you a surgeon. And just because you were a kid once does not make you an expert in raising kids. In fact, parenting is, is natural. It's very natural, but it's not an intuitive thing, is it? You don't always know what to do. And I don't know what it is about, you know, raising kids in today's culture. And, like, I only have my worldview to go, to go from and viewing parents around me. But I really see this change in culture where people just kind of wing things. Oh, I'll just show up and I'll figure it out. And when you apply that to parenthood and you say, well, I'm just going to go with my gut or... I'm just going to follow my heart. It doesn't really work out as a parenting philosophy because the tides change, philosophies change, pop culture changes, peer pressure changes. Sometimes last night's pizza affects your parenting decisions. Um, this whole, I'll go with my gut or I'm just going to follow my heart, it produces inconsistency in parenting. And by the way, it says in the Bible, it says in Jeremiah 17:9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So I'm standing before you today and I'm saying I reject the philosophy of winging it as a parent. You really cannot go with your heart. You can't go by your gut. You can't just go with the flow. Parenting is an intentional act. Now I love a good internet meme. Does anybody else really love a good internet meme, those pictures, you know, they make you laugh on the internet. I think that memes might actually be my love language. So I thought I would look up some parenting ones and share them with you. Here's the first one. How many of you have ever felt personally victimized by your toddler? Does anybody relate with that? Right, Tammy? <laughs> okay, here's the next one. When your newly potty trained kid starts making the poop face, Oh man, you guys are a tough crowd. I'm starting I'm gonna start potty training next month. And so this one really resonated with me. Next slide. When you wait hear your kids wake up in the morning, 
so it begins. Right? You just, like my daughter's door, she's always the first one up. She's an early riser. I don't know where she gets it from because I am definitely a night owl. But her door makes a little squeak in the morning. And it, this, it's exactly this in our house. We hear that door squeak, so it begins. And finally, you do you. Don't let anyone tell you that it's bedtime. There you go. Now, on that last one, though, I really am concerned about our future because we live in a culture that is okay with our kids disobeying us. Oh, it's fine, you're just raising a little rebel. Or they're just hard-headed, or I just have a difficult child. Um, but when we live in a, a society that is okay with this disobedience, and dishonesty and disrespect and you know we're not managing our kids this is really cute when they're two. Oh, what a cute little rebel but when they're 22 if they haven't been disciplined we have a real problem on our hands don't we and that's where society is today we we do have problems on our hands because kids have not been taught discipline and there there's kids who are taught that the only way you can be successful is to go against the culture, rebel against the government, rebel against your teacher, question everything. And I mean, I'm not saying don't question everything. I think that we can use reason and logic to work our way through any questions that we have. But just to do it from a place of rebellion um, is a twisted, twisted worldview on how things should actually go. Because the Bible tells us that we need to obey, we need to listen, we need to respect, we need to honor. And so we kind of create these little monsters, right? And they have Google in their back pocket, and, you know, they can ask questions. And before you know it, if you haven't taken the time to discipline your kids, by the time they reach teenagerhood, you know, they can go online and ask Google anything they want. And then all of a sudden, if the Internet starts making more sense than mom and dad, that structure that you put in their life can crumble in an instant. And some parents are left wondering, what happened? We did everything right. We brought our kids to church. We didn't let them smoke. We didn't let them swear. We didn't let them watch certain TV shows. Why are our kids so quick to walk away from our faith? And we've spent all this time, you know, trying to do the right thing, trying to teach our kids how to follow Jesus and really, a good parent wants to leave that legacy, right? We want to pass our faith on to the next generation. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And I think all of us who are parents, we want to pass on good things to our kids, right? That's why we have wills. And I remember um, maybe about a year ago, my mom and dad called me up and they said, well, Taryn, we're going to go do our wills. Is there anything that we own that you'd like when we die? I thought, well, that's kind of a weird question to be asked. Like, you're trying to go through the catalog of all the things my parents own. Like, is there anything I really do want that I would fight my other four siblings for after they pass? And then um, just a couple of months ago, my mom called me up again, and she said, hey, like, I'm, I don't use my china anymore. Like, would you like it? I, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, thinking, well, you know, I'll pick it up in 20 years or something. And like 
a week later, she comes into the city and like there's boxes on boxes on boxes of like all this china. And it's like eight place settings of like plates and bowls and coffee mugs and cups and a lasagna tray. And I, I kind of had a laugh and it's like, oh, where am I going to put all this in my kitchen? And But it's, I recognize in that moment that it's my mom. She just wants to pass something along to me. And I think we all do that. Like we want to build a world for our kids that's better than the one that we live in. But we all know that stuff really isn't going to satisfy. It's not going to give the greatest experience. The most important thing is that we leave a legacy of faith for our kids. We don't want our kids to forget Jesus. We don't want them to walk away from him. We want them to live a better life than we have. So this longing that we have to pass things on, it's not new in, you know, the modern society. Um, in the Old Testament, we even see this, and especially in the book of Deuteronomy. Has anybody read the book of Deuteronomy before? A few of you. It's in the first five books of the Bible, and uh, the first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah in the Jewish faith, or sometimes referred to as the Pentateuch, and all five books are written by this guy, Moses. So he wrote the first five books of the Bible, and you start kind of in, in Genesis, and you start with the creation and Adam and Eve and the sin. And Genesis is a great book to read, by the way, because it's all story. It, it goes by pretty quickly. And, you know, it goes through Jacob and Isaac and all the way down. And then we, we end up in Exodus, and that's where Moses comes and he takes the nation of Israel out of Egypt and God performs all of these miracles and they're in the desert and they wander for 40 years. And then Leviticus is a book of all the laws that were written because of Israel's wandering in the desert and all the stuff that they did and, you know, they had to write down the rules. Numbers is, is kind of more boring. It's more of a census, but still faithful and, you know, if you really want to get into the theology of it and put on your Bible nerd glasses and read through that book, it's very interesting. And then you get to the book of Deuteronomy, the last one in the Pentateuch. And just to set up the scene for you, Deuteronomy is a book, and it's basically a big speech. It's a speech where Moses stands in front of the nation of Israel, and he says, okay, we're going to go into the promised land. Let's review the rules. Because God knew that Israel is quick to forget him. Despite all the miracles that he performed in the desert, like literally the nation of Israel followed a pillar of fire and provided all the food that the nation of Israel needed. And then Moses goes away for like a few days to go up on the mountain with God and they go, oh, we need to worship something. And then they're like, they have the golden calf. They're so quick to forget God. And so Moses, having experienced that with the nation of Israel and wandered with them for so many years, they're standing outside the promised land and he goes, okay, let's review the rules. That's the book of Deuteronomy. And then like the last couple chapters talk about Moses dying. And obviously Moses didn't write the chapters about him dying because that would be very weird. But uh, in, the, in the next text, and in the text that we're going to examine this morning, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 13. And in that text, there's two verses that Jewish people consider to be the most important verses in the whole Torah. So I'm going to point those out when we get to them. But in these 13 verses we're going to review this morning comes some really solid advice for us parents. 
and how we should approach raising our kids and passing along our faith to them. So let's just jump into it. Let's have a look here. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. I'm just going to stop right there. This sounds like a speech that I give my kids right before we go into the grocery store. I can just... I imagine Moses is kind of like that. And all you moms, or if, you, if you're the dad and you go with the kids to the grocery store, you know this speech. Okay, guys, here's the rules of the grocery store. You can't have any candy today. And if there's no whining and complaining, maybe we can get a pizza, right? This is what Moses is opening his speech with. This is, these are the commands and decrees and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. Verse 2, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. That's a promise. And any time I see in the Bible a bunch of verses and then it ends with, you will enjoy a long life, you pay attention to the verses surrounding, okay? Because if you follow this stuff, God will bless you. That's a promise in Scripture. Verse 3, listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. I highlighted that. Be careful to obey. Does obedience usually happen by accident? Yes or no? No. If you have toddlers, you know obedience does not happen by accident. Moses, speaking on God's behalf to the nation of Israel, repeats, you'll see him repeat this over and over in Deuteronomy. Be careful to obey. Do this and you'll live a long life. We have to be intentional about obeying God. And that's actually really good parenting advice too. Be careful to obey Listen, O Israel, and this is considered to be one of the most important verses in Jewish faith. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. It sounds so simple, and you can kind of fly by that. And by the way, the Jewish people, they call this uh, part of the Shema. It's this verse and the next verse that comes after it. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you see this repeated a lot throughout this book. God is our only God. And the nation of Israel could interpret this verse as, okay, the golden calf we made, that was a bit of a mistake. God is our only God. No matter what's happening when we go into this new promised land and, you know, we're sort of transitioning from wandering and not really knowing and depending on God for food to living in a city, not having to be nomads anymore, and, you know, we got to go get our own food. God is reminding them, I am your God. And I think we can take a little bit of license with this in our own, you know, 2019 lives. God is our only God. And some of us need to be reminded of this this morning, that God is God. You know, our, our dream job that pays the big bucks is not our God. The soccer team and, you know, your budding little athlete is not your God. Music is not your God. Education is not your God. Or whatever, you know, sometimes, and I, there's nobody in this room that's not guilty of this, we have something in our lives that, you know, if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, it can very slowly creep up and take that number one spot. And here God is, and one of the most important verses in all of the Torah says, I 
am your God, no one else. Next verse. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Does that sound familiar? Jesus says this in the New Testament, and he's actually referencing back to Deuteronomy when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he adds, love your neighbor as yourself. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. And I highlight the word wholeheartedly because it's, it's really something you have to be decisive about to follow Jesus, especially as a parent, because your kids know if you're faking it. They know that if you're just coming to church to tick off some box and, you know, make your wife happy, or they know that, you know, you pray really loud and you sing and you worship at church, but, you know, they hear you swearing at home. They know if you're in this or not, or if you're just going through the motions. Verse 7, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. You can interpret this a couple of ways. It, maybe Moses meant exactly that. Okay, kids, now we're at home. Now we're going to talk about God. Now we're on the road. Now we're going to talk about God. Now you're going to bed. Now you're going to talk about God. Or you can, it, it's, the inference behind it is our faith is part of our everyday life. And the 2019 versions of us, you know, heart check. Are we just Christians on Sunday or are we Christians every day of the week? Because our kids can spot it if it's fake. Verse 8, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the Jewish people took this so seriously. Here's a picture. They would tie bands around their arms. And you see that thing on his forehead? That's in direct reference to this verse. That's called a phylactery, which is a weird word to say. And they took this very seriously. Go ahead, one more here. The Lord your God will soon bring you into a land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with the goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill of this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who resurrected you from slavery in the land of Egypt. In our 2019 interpretation of this, and I really hope you take this home, you can't forget God when times are good. This is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. Okay, I just brought you through some lean times, and I literally had to make food appear on the ground every day for you, and now you're going into this lush land that has so much good things to eat and it's going to be way easier than wandering through the desert and you're going to live in comfort but don't forget about the Lord you must fear the Lord your God and serve him when you take an oath you must use only his name isn't it just like us to forget God after he carries us through a hard time Maybe answered a prayer in a moment of desperation. Then it's almost like we relax. And in that relaxation, we just become very careful to... Not careful. We, we just become so relaxed, casual, and we forget about what God's done for us. 
Here's what I've discovered in my very short tenure as a parent. Parenting is best played as a long game. I know some of you who are parents, maybe you're going through a time where it's like, oh, if I can just make it through today, if I can just make it through this week, if I, we just got to get to the end of June and, and get them through the end of this grade, or maybe you're in a really tough season with your kids. But if we're kind of using that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle when it comes to parenting our kids, it doesn't benefit them in the long run. We got to view parenting as a big picture with a, the successful end of parenting is having kids who love God. And then we can reverse engineer our way backwards. So in my preparation for this message, like I said, I've got a six-year-old, and you know, maybe you're looking at me going, listen, I could preach this message a whole lot better than you could. Um, you can send your thoughts to Taryn at crosschurch.ca. Go ahead. Um, but I, I started thinking about who are the parents in my life that I think they have really great kids. And, and then I went and I asked them, I said, what did you think you did right for all of that to happen? And universally... They all kind of answer the same thing. Number one, they are intentional. They have the end in mind. And when they had kids, or, you know, shortly after, they thought to themselves, what kind of adult will I eventually let into the world? And then they reverse engineered kind of backwards from there. So if, if your kid is six, and my, like mine is, and 12 years from now, your kid's going to be 18 and ready to go off to college. What kind of kid do you want that kid to be? Do you want them to be respectful and honest, honoring, love God, makes church a priority? Well, then you have to reverse engineer your way and go backwards from there and figure out what steps you need to take through there. Secondly, all of the parents, just about all the parents that I asked, you know, what did you do? They all gave me book recommendations, which tells me, okay, they have taken time in their lives and they carve out a few hours here and there and they really educate themselves on what it takes to become a great parent. Now, of course, me being up here with a microphone in a church, I'm going to tell you you need to read your Bible first because it's full of great parenting advice, especially the book of Proverbs. Um, but now I've got a, a book list, about 15 books long, that I could read and educate myself. How can I become a better parent? How can I do this better? Uh, thirdly, the parents that in my life that I really respect, especially parents with teenagers that I see are doing, doing really well, they've created an environment with their kids where their kids feel free to share their innermost thoughts and feelings and questions and desires. And they haven't made any topics out of bounds. They haven't said, oh, we don't talk about that. And they haven't gotten mad at kids for answer, asking questions that you feel like there doesn't even need to be an answer to, it's so obvious. They have set up a good home. And a good phrase that they, one of them told me says, to say, if you really don't know, just say, oh, well, let's, let's figure this out together. And finally, um, in asking the, these parents that I respect, um, all of them said they, they're confident enough in their parenting abilities to make unpopular decisions to get to that end goal that they've set for their kids. Uh, whether it be, you know, with their children, parents, good parents aren't afraid to be unpopular with their kids in the name of discipline. Um, they're not swayed by fads or peer pressure or what the school system says, but they have a clear focus on the outcome and on God. Uh, I can't, one of the last things I want to share with you this morning uh, as we begin, begin to wrap up our time is uh, what 
what I've discovered, I didn't make this up, I found it, um, and I found it to be really helpful I, um, in my parenting approach, because we all know that you can't parent like a two-year-old the same way we would parent a 16-year-old. That's just silly. A 16-year-old doesn't need to know, you know, don't touch the stove, and a two-year-old doesn't need advice on girlfriends. So here's what I discovered in my studies, and it's called the four stages of discipline. And in ages zero to five, we are, sorry, the four stages of parenting. In ages zero to five, we are in the discipline phase. This is where we begin to teach our kids that there are consequences for their behavior, and we give them immediate consequences. And sometimes this is for safety, like don't touch the stove, don't run into traffic. And then sometimes uh, things are intentional. And uh, one thing that I've really been trying to implement my with my kids is the three Ds. And so um, if they disobey, disrespect me or their dad or someone else in their life, they shouldn't. Or if they're dishonest, we give them immediate consequences so that they're raised to learn how to obey. And then the second stage is, uh, you know, 6 to 12, and this is the training. And this is really where we unpack the why behind the family rules that we put in place in the first discipline phase. And this is where I'm at with my daughter. She's six, um, and she's really good at asking the question why. Um, I think one day she may end up being a lawyer because she's pretty good at rationalizing her point of view. Like, you know, Mom, I really don't think I need to put the markers away because I'm, I'm just going to get them out again. So why should, we, why should I have to do that, Mom? And it's like, if I was living in that, oh, we just need to get through to this afternoon or we just need to get through today or this week, it's pretty easy to give in and be like, yeah, sure, whatever, do what you want. And I'm not perfect at this because sometimes I do say that. But when I had the big picture in mind and it's like, no, we've decided that our family is going to be orderly and we're going to put things back where they belong because that respects mom and it respects dad and it keeps our house in working order. And so that's where we're at with her in the why phase. And very often I have to give the rule and explain the why behind it. And I only imagine it's going to get more complicated as she gets older. The next phase is the coaching phase. And we call that the how. Parenting happens a bit more through our advice from the sidelines. And as a youth pastor, I saw this in play all the time. And I know some of you have kids that are in this coaching phase. Um, the relationship in the in the coaching phase moves towards connecting rather than correcting your child. Um, you need to create an, an environment where the, your kids will talk and share because we, we all have known teenagers who just kind of shut up in front of adults. But if you're their mom or their dad or stepmom or stepdad or whatever the relationship is, but you're the parent, you in this phase of coaching, you need to connect with them and help walk them through the how of parenting. And finally, if you do all three of these phases right, you end up in the friendship phase. And as adults, we enjoy each other's company. And if your kids are really friends with you, you get to process life with them. And we call this the when phase because they, they're at the point in their lives where they can live out that, well, when I'm an adult, I'm an adult, I will. And you get to see that live out. And you get to enjoy your kids' friendship. And if you get, if you get these out of order that kind of starts to become a problem. A couple of verses I want to share with you from the Proverbs. And I, I got these from my mom. And she never sat me down and, you know, gave me a curriculum and said, okay, Taryn, this is how we're going to parent. But I just, 
I picked this up from her and and you know we weren't perfect kids and there's been some rebellion in my nuclear family from when I was a kid and she would always repeat this when she didn't know what else to say she would say in Proverbs 22 6 start children off in the way they should go and even when they are old they will not turn from it and that's a promise I really believe that's a promise if you put in the hard work of your kids disciplining them starting them off in the faith they will not depart from it and it says in Proverbs 29 17 discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights and you desire. And it's kind of, it's funny because some parents have this backwards. They want to give their kids peace. Just give in to what their kids want so that they can have peace. But the Bible says if you discipline your kids, that will give you peace. Your kids will give you peace. They'll bring you the delights that you desire. So parents, can I just encourage you this morning? I know it's hard. I'm just at the beginning and it's hard. But if you take the time to discipline your parents, time goes by so quickly. We're going to wrap up in just a second here. What can we do as parents to help our kids along? How can we pass our faith on to them? It's a sin to, bo to bore the child with the word of God. The video that we opened up with this morning talked about, you know, let's have family devotion time. And I think the worst thing you as a parent can do is, you know, go out and buy a book this thick, and at 6.45 p.m. every night, flop open the book and go, okay, kids, now we're going to read through Deuteronomy. They're not going to enjoy that. Talk about your faith. What are you reading in Scripture? And by the way, that might mean that you need to start reading Scripture every day. Can I encourage you to do that? But don't bore your kids with faith. Make faith the most interesting, the most exciting part of their week. Um, I don't mean to brag, but my daughter loves church. When she was two, we used to drive by the church, and she'd be like, church, church over there, let's go to church. We really want to make God the most exciting part of their lives. Parenting is really important work. And I know some of you are going, oh yeah, this is really nice for me to say, up on the platform and you know everything's perfect in your life it's not I'll just be honest with you it's not and I know some of you are thinking you know what like I just need to get through this month or you don't know how disobedient my kid is or you don't know what we're going through as a family right now I don't I don't but God does and God sees what you're struggling with and he wants to help you as a parent he wants your kids to do great things in life Will you surrender that to God this morning? A really interesting thought that I came across long before I became a parent uh, is a quote from Andy Stanley. And I love the idea that's inside of it because we, we all want really great things for our kids. We want our kids to do better financially than we ever did. We want them to have a better education than we ever did. We want success and we want grandkids and we just want the next generation to do better than us. But that's going to take us being intentional in their raising. Because here, I'll show this to you. It says, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. We get so busy doing our jobs or keeping our house together, or just keeping everything in line. And time flies by so quickly 
you blink and your kid is 18 and out in the world. Please be intentional about who you raise and what you're releasing into the world and the things that they're going to do for God. Because if we as a church could do that together, if we could be intentional about making our kids famous in God's kingdom, working hard with them to trust God, we would be an unstoppable church. You would be an unstoppable family. So can I encourage you this morning? I don't want to discourage any parents in this room. Keep going. No matter how hard it is, no matter how much your kids roll their eyes at you, you are the parent, and God has given you the calling to raise them and for them to do great things in God's kingdom. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, parenting is a tough racket, but you have called every parent in this room to do great things with our kids. And God, we get stuck in the day-to-day, -day and some of us are overwhelmed, and life is really difficult. God, help us to keep our eyes on the prize and remember that we are raising one of your children. God, help us. Give us insight. Would your Holy Spirit just come and assist us in this parenting thing? Remind us of the right thing to do. And God, every child that's represented in this room, we just we give them to you, God. We give the responsibility of raising them, Lord, and we say we need help. We can't do this on our own. And for those in this room who are not parents this morning, Lord, uh, I pray, God, that this would not be a waste of their time, that they would see their role as cheerleader as a very important one, that they would encourage someone even today as a parent. And God, I pray that we would be unstoppable as a church full of parents wanting kids that serve you. We pray for all of these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more information about Cross Church, visit us online at crosschurch.ca.